Church, will you bow with me and let us pray together once again. Father, truly, you are great. God, everything about you is good. You are just, you are fair, you are righteous. Lord, these songs that we have sung sing and shout the truths that you have taught us in Scripture. Lord, thank you for your servants. Lord, thank you for Jason. Thank you for all those who are working behind the scenes, for all those who are up on this stage using their gifts and talents that they might lead us in worshiping you and draw us into your very throne room of grace. God, now that we have sung, now that that we have shouted your praise and declared your goodness, we turn our attention to your holy word. Father, in spite of a foolish preacher, God, we ask that you would speak. Lord, that you would teach us by the power of your word, that your Holy Spirit would transform us by the renewing of our minds. God, I know that I am unworthy and I am unable, but Father, the good news is you are more than worthy and you are more than able. So, Lord, would you use your word to encourage those of us who need encouragement, to convict those of us who need to be convicted, Lord, to challenge those of us who need to be challenged, but also to comfort those of us who need comfort. Father, we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. Folks, I I know that we have some children present with us this morning. It was a joy to hear them singing along with us. Sometimes they like to preach along with me. I want you to know that is welcome. If you hear that, that is an amen, and you might ought to consider amening as well, okay? So if you hear a child that can't quite vocalize amen yet, and you just hear, ah, that's the child's version of amen. They think I'm doing a good job. So if you feel comfortable amening along with them, you go right ahead, okay? Now, I've also been called on in the middle of the night to put children to sleep. Thus far, during the coronavirus stuff where we have no child care and no nursery. That has not seemed to be the case in the sanctuary. So don't be alarmed. Children are welcome here. And when they cry out, it is a joyful thing because we have children. Amen. Right there. See, it's already here. We got it this morning. We're doing well. If you will turn in your Bibles with me, we have another passage that we will read here in a moment, but we're going to be in Exodus and we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter eight here in just a moment. But before we do, Jake read the beginning passage for us, which started off where we left off last week, and he started there in seven, chapter 7, verse 14. He read through the end, the very last verse there was verse 25, that the Nile River was blood for seven days. So where we've been up until that point is very interesting. We got a lot of background and history on Moses. We got a lot about Moses' call. We talked a lot last week about the repeated themes that we would see throughout all of these plagues. If you'll remember with me, there's, there's going to be statements all along the way about Moses and Aaron now completely obeying the word of the Lord. Earlier in chapter 5, they went to Pharaoh, but they did not completely obey what God had told them to do. But then we saw where they began in complete obedience. Then there's going to be counterfeit signs as far as they can carry, as far as they can reproduce. They're going to try to reproduce what God is doing in these plagues. 
We also saw that in every case, God will prove superior. God will prove that he is superior and reigns supreme over all of the false gods of Egypt. Remember, all of this is taking place like we read in Exodus chapter 5, like will be repeated over and over again, so that Egypt, all of Egypt may know that I am the Lord and there is no other. All of these plagues are taking place, not just to free the Israelites, but also so that the whole world may know who the one true and living God is. And we here now, Thousands upon thousands of years later are still talking about the incredible wonders, the incredible miracles that God did to deliver his people out of Egypt. So that theme is going to carry that God is supreme, that he is proving that he is better than all 80 of the random deities, the false gods that they worshipped in Egypt. And each cycle we'll see he's putting various Egyptian gods to shame. But we also noted Pharaoh's heart will continue to be hard. There'll be statements where it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, that it just was hard. There'll be statements where the Lord himself hardens Pharaoh's heart. There'll be statements where Pharaoh himself hardens his heart. But all the way up until even after the tenth and final plague, even after Pharaoh loses his firstborn son because of his disobedience to the one true and living God, he still will harden his heart. Remember our our analogy, when God hardens Pharaoh's heart, it's a tandem jump out of an airplane. Pharaoh gets up to this fight with the Lord and is ready to back out. But the Lord says, oh, no, 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 Pharaoh, you strapped to me. We already flew up here. We're going to jump out of this plane. The word that is used is to fortify, to strengthen, to empower. And so God makes sure that Pharaoh stays in the fight. But also remember every time that the Bible says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, it's the same word that's used for heaviness, like a stone. Pharaoh made his heart like stone in hardness, but also in weight. And remember, we looked at the Egyptian mythology about how they thought that when you died, you stood before the great pantheon of Egyptian gods and they weighed your heart, so to speak. And if your heart was the same or lighter than the feather that was given to Anubis by their god Osiris, then you were able to pass on and go to paradise. But if your heart was heavier than that feather, then you were annihilated. And there was a a weird demon-y thing that came and ate your heart and you didn't exist anymore. That's Egyptian mythology. All right? So even in their mythology, they would understand from this story that when Pharaoh hardens his heart, he is in the wrong. He is adding sin to his heart. And so then, after this first preview sign, after the staff turns into a snake and eats however many other staffs turned into a snake... Remember, we, we talked about Charlton Heston and the movie, The Ten Commandments. There may have been way more than two snakes. There could have been 50 snakes out there and 50 different priests and magicians that all turned their sna- staffs into snakes. But the staff of Aaron ate all of them, however many there were. And so the Lord is moving in their midst, and yet Pharaoh is still hardening his heart and does not listen. These plagues are going to show up in three cycles now that the previews are over. And so this morning, we're looking at the first three plagues. The Nile turns to blood, there's frogs that come up out of the Nile, and the dust turns into gnats. Now, what's interesting is that this is the cycle 
for the first nine plagues. You'll see that when the Nile is turned to blood, God gives Pharaoh a warning and he sends Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh in the morning. Then for two more plagues, that's not the case. And then the cycle starts over when we're going to get to the flies, which are the fourth plague. They go early in the morning to present themselves to Pharaoh. And then the second plague, the Egyptian livestock dying, it won't do that. The boils, that won't happen. And then in the third cycle, they go to Pharaoh and present and speak to him early in the morning. And then there's three plagues that proceed from that. So Scripture has arranged these in three sets of three. And then the tenth plague is kind of off to itself. It's in a whole nother league. It's in a whole nother category. So this morning, we're going to begin looking at that first cycle and what Jake read for us earlier, the Nile was turned to blood. So let's pick up where Jake left off for us. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 8. The book of Exodus, chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to be reading through verse 19. Exodus, chapter chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 19. 19. If you found your place in sacred scripture, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand once again out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? We look together now at Exodus chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and in your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the over the pools and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let your people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and from your houses and from your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. And Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite. He hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. 
Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I want us to notice that in the literary structure of what we're looking at, there is intentionality. The first of the plagues go to Pharaoh early in the morning. The second of the plagues go to Pharaoh. The third of the plagues doesn't even talk about going to Pharaoh. Then it repeats. The fourth plague, go to Pharaoh in the morning. The fifth plague, go to Pharaoh. The sixth plague, they don't go to Pharaoh. They just do the plague. In the seventh plague, in the eighth plague, in the ninth plague, Pharaoh in the morning, Pharaoh, no Pharaoh. In every one of these three cycles, we're going to see the three different times that Pharaoh himself hardens his own heart. But the difference is we're only going to see the counterfeit signs here in the beginning. And so I want you to understand there's a lot of people that try and give biological explanations for every one of these plagues. But you need to know these were miracles of God. If there were normal, biological, natural processes for these things to happen, if this was just the time of year and the season that the gnats swarmed, that the flies came, that the frogs would come up out of the river, nobody would have paid any attention. Nobody would have written it down. Nobody would have remembered it for thousands of years. If this was something that had happened regularly, then there's no reason to write about it. And we saw there in verse 11, God is intentional about making sure that Pharaoh and all the people of Egypt understand God's the one that turned the switch on and God's the one that can turn the switch off. Now, listen, I've given up on giving you all the Egyptian gods names, okay? because when I say Osiris and Anubis and the demon Amit, you guys have no facial expression change whatsoever. So I learned from the school of hard knocks that y'all are not interested in knowing what the Egyptian gods were. Just be aware, all right, every plague deals with one of the roughly 80 Egyptian gods, sometimes more than one of them at a time, all right? Are we good there? Everybody good? Or did y'all just really want to know all these Egyptian gods' names? Nobody's been knocking down my door going, I need to know more Egyptian gods, all right? So we're, we're done with naming Egyptian gods. We're just going to focus on Yahweh, the one true living God. Okay, just making sure we're all on the same page there. So let's look together at the Nile turning to blood. This is the first plague. We had a preview, but now the Nile will turn to blood. Moses goes out, Moses and Aaron go out to Pharaoh at the Nile. And this is not where some soil gets mixed in with the water and turns the water red. The water became blood, like blood that courses through our veins. If the water had just been dirty and had redness in it, The fish wouldn't have died. The fish died. The Nile stank. This is their primary water source. You have to understand the plague surround the three primary things that the Egyptians relied on. They relied on their land, they relied on the sky, and they relied on the Nile. The Nile was synonymous with Egypt, and Egypt with the Nile. You could say, I'm going to the Nile, and everybody understood, I'm going to Egypt. It's the same with Mississippi and the Mississippi River. 
Only on a grander scale across all the known world, everybody knew the Nile was synonymous. And Aaron raises his staff, and for seven days, the Nile was blood. You know, scientists tell us that on average, if you go without eating for about 40 days, is about how long it would take you to starve to death. On average, if you went without drinking, and I'm not talking about outside in the Alabama heat, all right? Not, not, we're not talking about outside in South Alabama when it's summertime like this, because we're drinking our air, so it's hot. I get it. But on average, across the world, about five days before you die of thirst, before you dehydrate until you are dead. Now, that is a very healthy person who was very well hydrated on the start. Don't put these numbers to the test. But know that those are the current scientific averages. About five days before you dehydrate and die of thirst. About 40 days before you die of hunger. Now there's been records set where people go further. There are people who die sooner. But just know that these people are thirsty. They are desperate for water. This is the only way that they get water. And it says that they dug beside the Nile to try and find clean, fresh water. Now, I want you to imagine like what my kids do when we go to the beach. They always want me to work with them and dig a hole, you know, and you find yourself down on the beach and you're you're scraping out and you're digging the hole and you're digging the hole. And then you finally get to the place where you're laying down and you reach down. Oh, I found some water. I found, look, guys, how cool. We dug a hole deep enough. We're getting water. And my kids love it. They think it's the coolest thing ever. We might as well have dug to China. We found water even though the ocean is literally right there it's not surprising that the water is going to be down there this is what people are doing only it's not a fun activity with your kids where you're like hey kids let's see if we can find the water here we go we're digging we're talking about people are desperate they're thirsty they're dying their kids are dying their old people are dying they need water they're dehydrated and the Nile is the only source and God said no more water why don't you talk to your Egyptian gods and find out if they can fix it back? Oh, oh, I know what we'll do. We'll go talk to the magicians. We'll go talk to the priests, the Egyptian priests. They'll, they'll fix it. We'll go. All right. And Pharaoh says, bring me my magicians. Bring them. Ha! Ah, look what they've done. Here. Now, talk to our gods. Go. And the guys go, all right. All right. We're up. I've got it. We've got to take a cup and we dip fresh water. I'm going to ha. I'm going to ha. I don't know what they did. Okay. We're just making that part up. Boom. Ah, Pharaoh, we have done the same. Now you have blood in the cup instead of water. And Pharaoh goes, that's great. Look, our guys can do the same thing. And Moses and Aaron said, oh, yeah? Tell them to fix it back. Can't do a thing. There's nothing. They can't turn the water from blood back into water. All they can do is duplicate the signs. It's going to happen again with the frogs. Pharaoh, I have to imagine, looks at the magicians, at the priests, and says, We already got plenty of frogs. Why are you making more frogs? They copy it. Woo! They did good. They made their staff turn into a snake. They made the water turn into blood. They're in contact with some sort of demonic power, or they're the greatest illusionist since Harry Houdini. Or, well, you know, in reverse. They're the greatest illusionist that Harry Houdini will look up. But let me tell you something. They can't fix it. They can't make the frogs go away. They copy it. They make more frogs. But when frogs are literally stuck to your face, can you imagine a tree frog stuck to your face when you wake up in the morning because they're all over your pillow and you're trying to go to sleep at night? And these were not the quiet frogs, all right? This is not the subdued little... 
These are those that go, bat, 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 bat. You know those, that we got those frogs around here. There have been times I thought a dog was on the church campus and it was one of them little frogs stuck to the glass window screaming at us, okay? And thousands and thousands and thousands and they just all come up out of the Nile. And it's so many of them you can't even see the ground. And it says that when they opened their ovens to bake something, there came the frogs. I hope you like frog flavoring on all your food because every time you cook, those frogs are getting burned up in your oven and that smell and that smoke is getting all in your food. Hey, Mom, I, this, this tastes great, but it, there's a hint of frog leg in here. What, what happened in the... Well, baby, I can't get them frogs out the oven. Well, we went and talked to the priests, and you know what they did? They brought us more frogs. Great job. In every situation, Pharaoh is put to shame. The magicians are put to shame. And the people say, it does us no good that you can make frogs too. Make the frogs go away. And they already dealt with how bad it stank when all the fish in the Nile died. And then he says, hey, uh, Moses, I'm really going to need you to get rid of these frogs. And Moses says, all right, I'll go talk to the Lord. When do you want them to go away? When do you want me to go talk to the Lord? So that you'll know that the Lord did it. It wasn't an accident. The Lord did it. Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning he goes. And he prays to the Lord. The Lord answers. The Lord makes the frogs abate. They all die. The Lord doesn't make them all go claw back into the Nile River and disappear and go from wherever they came. They all die. The Nile was already stinking because of all the dead fish. And now they got piles and piles and piles of dead frogs everywhere. Egypt went from being the greatest place to live to being a landfill. You walk outside and you think you live in the dump. There's dead fish, there's dead frogs, we got no water to drink, our pets' heads are falling off. It's an awful, awful time to live in Egypt. And then, as if that wasn't enough, the Lord gives them one more thing. But you don't, you don't go to Pharaoh. Don't, don't worry about this. I just want you to take that staff, I just want you to smack the dust. And everything that pops up from that dust, every grain of sand becomes a gnat. Folks, there's a lot of things I can put up with. I probably could put up with the frogs better than I can put up with the gnats. Gnats are just the most annoying thing in the world to me. And especially when there's just a swarm of them. You know, or like if you're walking and you're not paying attention and you walk into the midst of them and they're up your nose and they're in your ears and you hear them buzzing and they're everywhere and I just you can't. You do like this and then you're like, ha. And then a the split second later they go, ha, 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 ha. You swiped at me, but you didn't touch me. Imagine you can't see. Imagine I, I can't see from here to Miss Ernestine because there's so many gnats that it's black. That it's dark throughout the land. It looks like it's about to rain every day because gnats are everywhere. There's, there's no biological or natural response that can be the explanation for this. This is only by the work of the Lord. It says that every speck of dust became a gnat. And he didn't even bother going to Pharaoh on this one. He said, I know what Pharaoh's response is going to be. I know that he hardened his heart over the frogs. I know that he promised to let you go. And then he doubled back on his word and he reneged on the deal. I understand all that's going on. But guess what? We're going to do another plague just to show him who's in charge. Over and over again, God puts Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt to shame. And this morning, those themes are all still there. Moses and Aaron are completely obedient. They're growing in their obedience with every plague. God is proving himself to be supreme and powerful and the counterfeit signs, the spiritual warfare, it's being overthrown at every stage and every step. 
And Pharaoh is continuing to harden his heart. And folks, I just, I just want to make a connection because I know that sometimes we may look at everything that's going on in the world and we may think that this pandemic and all the, the chaos that has erupted from the pandemic. Maybe the, the actual rock wasn't that large that landed in the water, but now the ripples that are waving out from where the rock landed seem to be tidal waves. And some of us think that this is just a natural occurrence. This is just, oh, it, it, this happens all the time. It was H1N1. Now it's a coronavirus. And now it's that. Or some of us like to think, this is a Chinese plot. This is a scheme. The Chinese are out to get us and infect us, and they're trying to take over the United States. We want to come up with all sorts of man-made excuses and understandings, but I, I, I want to submit to you this morning that the same God who made the frogs come out of the Nile, who turned the Nile to blood, who let people almost die or die of thirst, who let the land stink from the dead bodies of the dead fish and the dead frogs, who made so many gnats you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, is the same God then as He is now. And folks, if any of us think that any of this happened outside of His purview or outside of His control, then we're missing everything that Scripture teaches us. Man, in my personal reading, I just finished up in Jeremiah. And if you ever just want your heart to be wrenched and broken and ripped from your chest over the tragedies that befall a people that have turned from God, spend some time in Jeremiah. And remember that our God is to be feared. That our God is powerful. We like to think he's just lovey-dovey and all mercy and all good and everything's fine. And man, God would never let something like this happen to us. Have you read Exodus lately? Have you read Jeremiah lately? Have you seen the fall of Israel? Have you seen the fall of Judah and Jerusalem? His own temple that he commanded Solomon to build and was arrayed in splendor and was the most beautiful temple that had ever been built. And he let the Babylonians destroy it brick by brick. And then he let them go inside what used to be the temple and sacrifice to their false gods. That's the same God we serve today. That's the same God that loved us enough to send his son to die in our place. That made a way for us to have righteousness through his righteousness. That Jesus would take his righteousness and give it to us. This is the same God. The Lord The Lord, strong and mighty, merciful and compassionate, loving and kind, filled with patience, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, but who will by no means clear the guilty. We can't stop at the front end of what Exodus tells us who God is. You have to finish reading and understand that the Lord disciplines those that He loves. The Lord punishes those who are wrong. Colossians tells us that the wrongdoer will pay for the wrong that they have done. Our God is just and fair. And He provided a way for us because our punishment went on to Jesus. It's not like the punishment went away. It went on to Jesus. And when we have missteps and we have trials and we have tribulations, sometimes, not every time, but sometimes it's our own fault. Boy, we sure don't like to think that. Oh, God, why me? Why would you let this happen? I don't understand. I've been such a good person. Folks, you're probably overestimating how good you are. I love you. And I love you enough to tell you that. 
Because there's plenty of times in my life where I've asked that same question and said, but God, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to live for you. Why would such and such happen? And the Lord just smacks me upside the head and says, hey, buddy, have you checked your sin calendar lately? Have you checked how you've been living lately? Have you checked the stupid decisions you've been making lately? Have you checked on how you're disobeying me and how you walked right into this? Have you seen how I tried to lead you out of this? But you ignored me and you continued to try and go to Tarshish and I was trying to send you to Nineveh. Folks, sometimes we got to own up. And we got to say, you know what, God, I deserve this. You know what, God, I, I came to this place. I brought myself here. I put myself in this mess. I understand because I deserve this. And look, it's hard for us to do that because we're always the hero of our own story, right? But let's, let's look at the end of what happens in chapter 8. Look at the very last verses of chapter 8. It's incredible. It's incredible. Verse 19. They say, the very priests who worship the false gods, they say this is the finger of God. Pharaoh himself can't say those words. But the priests of the false idols recognize the one true and living God and his work before Pharaoh. They fall into the camp of the Israelites because they know now who's responsible for the plague. But what we don't get is another verse that says, and so they believed. And so they repented. They said, this is the finger of God, but it doesn't continue where they say, and we are undone and we are sinful before him. And we want to repent and serve Him. None of that. They acknowledge that it is God Himself doing this and continue to choose to rely on their gods for deliverance. Folks, we, we got a pretty good little crisis going on in our world. All over the world. Case numbers go up. People get in hospitals. Hospitals fill up. They empty out. Some people die terrible it's tragic some people don't have any symptoms some people get sick businesses shut down supply chains are broken up it's hard to get lumber it's hard to get meat at one point in time you, you, you don't know we don't know what all's going on but don't let us fall into the camp of these priests don't let us be the ones who say look COVID-19 this coronavirus this is the finger of God and stop let us be the people who say, folks, I don't know why. I don't know if we brought this on ourselves or if this is God in his sovereignty and his justice balancing out the scales. I don't know what all's going on. I don't know. But all I know is that this is the finger of God and he is the only one who can deliver us from it. If nothing else, God is desperately trying to get our attention. And just like with these plagues, it is perfectly possible to walk through this season of life and miss it. And miss it. As terrible as it was and as mad as we all got when the governor said, don't go anywhere, stay home. 
Boy, I lost track of the number of people that said, hey, golly, I really like my family. What do you know? We're, we're spending time together. We're not just leaving every time we come in. We're not going to a zillion travel ball games. We're not going to a zillion uh, Dixie Youth Sport League games or Babe Ruth League games. We're, we're not, we don't have 50 million school activities to go to. We're spending time together. We're not just riding in a car together. We like each other. Oh, my goodness. Don't let us just go right back to the busyness that we were living before this. Now, I also know that there have been phone calls that came in that went, Preacher, pray for me. Pray for my husband. I don't know that we're going to survive this quarantine. Okay, I, I, I understand. I, I know that the rates of, of domestic abuse and things like that are also on the rise. I, I get it. I get it. There have been people that have called in a joking way. There have been people called in a serious way. Regardless, let's not move out of this season without recognizing God at work and taking what he is trying to teach us to heart. I believe with all of my heart that we overbusy ourselves, especially in the United States. We put so many things on the calendar. I got five spare minutes here. I can squeeze one more thing in. And we've forgotten how to be present with our loved ones. We've forgotten how to be present with our sisters, our brothers, our friends, our church family. We're so busy. We've got to go here. We've got to do that. We've got to do this. I've got to see this person. I've got to see that person. And, and we, we overbook ourselves until there's no time for God left. We wonder why God's not moving in our midst. and We don't give Him any time. There's never any time where we can move. Jason refers to a study that I, I love. and he, talks, he, he even shared this in one of the Sunday school videos that he did about this study where they told this group that you've got to get to the other side of campus and you're already late. You've got to get there. And they told this other group, you've got like an hour. Take your time. And as they moved across, the ones that had an hour to spare, all of them ran into the same person who was in need and needed help. Both groups, every person, ran into the same kind of person that needed help. The people who had time overwhelmingly stopped and helped the person. The people who were told they were already late overwhelmingly brushed by that person. Didn't give them the time of day. Folks, I'm, I'm not so in tune with the Holy Spirit that I think this is the only thing God is teaching us. But I have seen a lot of benefits from it. And I know that God is trying to teach me and trying to teach you and trying to teach us as a society many things through this coronavirus issue. Let us not be the priests who say, oh, this is definitely God. This is God at work. And then as things get more and more back to normal, we just act like it never happened. Let God and His work change us. Let us be the people that go, this is the finger of God. Woe is us. Lord, save us. Deliver us and change us through this. But don't be the priest that says, well, this is probably the Lord. And then go about your day. Jesus is calling. Jesus is getting our attention. Don't just walk on by. Don't just ignore him. Don't just put him in the back seat. But submit to him. Let us love him and trust him. And trust that he will deliver. And that he will save. And he is the only one worth worshiping. Will you bow with me?
Father in heaven, we thank you that you set forth a precedent and a testimony in what we see in the book of Exodus. Thousands of years ago, Lord, you were moving through mighty acts, through frogs and gnats, through bloody waters. You were drawing your people out of slavery and delivering your people from oppression. And Father, these days we are enslaved to our sin. We are enslaved to our schedules. We are enslaved to our preferences. We are enslaved to our comfort and convenience. God, change my heart. Lord, change our hearts. That we would learn from how you're moving amongst us. Lord, that we would recognize this is your finger at work. And that we would seek to work alongside you and redeem the time. Lord, this morning, if there are those who are afraid because of the coronavirus or, or just have taken stock because of the coronavirus and they're listening this morning and they, they realize that they've been in the camp of recognizing that God's there but not serving Him. Lord, would you move on their hearts? Cause them to submit to you, Lord. Draw them unto yourself. Lord, don't let anyone leave here today knowing who you are, but not being willing to serve you, Lord. Please move amongst us. Father, if there are those among us like myself who need to repent and realize where we've wasted our time and where we've scheduled You out of our lives. Help us, Father. Cause us to turn and to repent. We love You so much, Lord. And we are in desperate need of You. We ask that You move among us during this time. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.